0: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money.
1: The best in life are free, but you can give them to the best and be the
2: key. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, senior analyst Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, how hey. Are you doing, Chris? We get the latest headlines from Wall Street, we'll preview earnings season and some growing rivalries to keep an eye on. And As always, we've got a couple of stocks on our radar, but we begin with the big macro. The unemployment rate fell to 4.8%, but the U.S. economy added just 194,000 jobs in September, well below estimates. Ron, at a time when companies are starting to ramp up seasonal hiring, this jobs report indicates that most every industry is in fact having trouble hiring.
0: Yes, you nailed it. Um, By all accounts, a worse-than-expected report, I think, and, and I'll get into some of those details. I think the main takeaway is that the weakness may give some cover to the Fed and allow them to continue their bond buying stimulus program and put off the tapering of that program that so many investors are worried about for just a bit longer. Uh, The markets on Friday, they were up and down, up and down, trying to digest the information as investors try to figure out if the bad news outweighed the good news of potential continued stimulus, and I think um, we're going to have to see how that plays out over time. Some details, speaking um, to what you said about the weakness, so the payrolls increased $194,000 in September. That was compared to a $500,000 estimate and down from $366,000 in August, so very weak. You mentioned the unemployment rate did drop to 4.8% from 5.1%, but this was largely due to a reduction in the labor participation rate as people permanently left the workforce. So, don't let the better unemployment rate fool you. Things are not that great. Leisure and hospitality growth, much slower than people had hoped for, bringing in less than 75,000 jobs. As the as the economy reopens, I think we're hoping to see that number really, really bump up. We saw a sharp decline in government jobs. Now, I will say the one bright spot for workers was an increase in wages, which is good, but a stagnant work. with rising labor costs does create some concern about both productivity and the potential for increased inflation. We'll keep an eye on it next month and see what happens.
2: safe to assume that, uh, and we're going to talk about earnings season coming up uh, later in the show, but safe to assume that a lot of companies should
0: expect questions about their ability to hire. Absolutely. I think um, besides increased pricing, we're going to see the phrase labor shortage in in most earnings releases.
2: Not a great week for Facebook. On Sunday, 60 Minutes aired an interview with Francis Haugen, a former product manager at Facebook, who provided damaging internal documents to The Wall Street Journal for their reports entitled The Facebook Files. And on Monday, shares fell 5% as Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp all suffered outages for about six hours. Jason, Facebook has weathered these storms in the past, so I'm not sure I want to bet against them, um, even though this is another bad look for Mark Zuckerberg and his executive team.
1: It is a bad look. uh, But I think the big question, and and to your point, um, is is this time going to be different? my first inclination, unfortunately, I guess, is to say no. Uh, I, I think we just see a lot of signs here for, for, for that reason, too. I mean, people are clearly hooked on these platforms. Um, I'm not entirely convinced our regulators even have a clue as to where to start with this either. Uh, And clearly, customers those those spending on the ads that are on the platform, they're not going to pull back. I mean, it just it seems like this just happens over and over and over again. So, I mean, when you look at the cause of this outage, I mean, its root cause was a faulty configuration change on our end, is what Facebook says. Um, Ultimately, I think. You can see some headwinds there in in Facebook's future that could pose some issues. Uh, Look at Apple's new tracking rules, for example. They're already under regulatory scrutiny in Europe as well. Uh, There are just more and more wake-up calls for businesses, I think, to try to diversify and not place all of their eggs in one basket, so to speak, uh, in in, in building their business profiles on Facebook and its properties. But, But we are where we are. And I think that is one of the main reasons why it's very difficult for me to believe it will be Different this time because so many people and businesses are so entrenched already on their platforms. It's just, it's very difficult to unwind that. So even if that does happen, it's going to take a while to do. A quick comment. Uh, Listening to
0: our senators talk about social media is painful. Um, They need to get better educated. And for six hours, I couldn't tell what my high school friends were up to. And that will not stand, my friend. (laughs)
2: Jason, you also have to wonder, Look, Facebook, it's a very large company. At the moment, they have, according to their website, about 3,500 jobs that are open. One potential small ripple effect could be, this might make it a little bit harder to recruit
1: top talent. It feels like it would. I mean, you know, I I don't know that I would ever really want to work there. You you probably have to kind of go around in public, not really admitting that that's where you work, at least during times like these, right? I mean, it it, it certainly is a brand that uh, is is it's not impenetrable, right? I mean, these things happen, and and there is a lasting effect. Uh, it, It is we do have short memories when it comes to this stuff, but but. The more this stuff happens, the more that brand suffers. The less people and businesses trust them, and I think trust is is just it's an imperative for for this business to succeed. So they're going to have to figure out a way to really um, earn that trust back and, and sustainably maintain that trust. Pepsi's third quarter profits
2: and revenue came in higher than expected. The company also raised revenue guidance for the full fiscal year. Ron, I know 9% growth for the quarter might not seem like a lot, but this is not a software company. This is consumer goods.
0: (laughs) Very well said. A solid quarter, despite those dreaded supply chain issues, organic growth in all of its segments, Doritos 3D Crunch, I'm going to get everyone hungry, Cheetos Crunch Pop Mix, Mountain Dew Flamin' Hot helped drive sales growth in the quarter, Frito-Lay a 7% increase, PepsiCo beverages 7% increase, double-digit growth overseas, which is interesting. Overall profits did decline by about 3% on higher operating expenses. The company is seeing supply chain challenges that include everything from a shortage of Gatorade bottles to a lack of truck drivers. But as you mentioned, it did raise full-year organic revenue growth guidance to 8% from 6% due to an expected increase in volumes as well as planned price increases, Pepsi being one of those companies that does have some pricing power, which in this environment is extremely important. Management expects constant currency earnings growth of at least 11%. They're confident in their ability to pass along price increases. Gave guidance for next year, which they typically don't do this early, which um, makes me believe that they have some solid visibility into their business, mid-single-digit revenue growth and high single-digit core constant currency earnings growth. Um, so pretty good. As you said, not a high-tech company, but they're doing well. Selling at 24 times, right in line with Coke at 23 times, very similar companies at this point. Um, Coke a little bit uh, bigger market gap, a little higher dividend. Um, Obviously, Pepsi with the Frito-Lay business, which we like the diversification that, that that provides. I'm glad
2: you mentioned the dividend because barring something
0: unforeseen, next year
2: will be the 50th year in a row that Pepsi manages to raise its dividend. That's
0: incredible. That is incredible. And, and that, that's a testament to the consistency and the quality of their earnings. Um, and, you know, and I want to say 2.7, 2. 2.8% perhaps dividend yield. That That's a pretty nice yield.
2: Shares of Constellation brands up a bit this week after a mixed second quarter report. Profits were lower than expected, but revenue was higher, and Constellation raised revenue guidance for the full fiscal year. Jason, you look across their portfolio of alcohol brands, it was actually the beer segment that was getting it done. That was a little bit of a surprise to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can sum up this quarter in the immortal words of Homer Simpson: "Ah, good old trustworthy beer. My love for you will <laughs> never die." <laughs> uh, I mean, this was this was a, a good quarter, I think, all the way around. But beer certainly stood out in the face of a difficult seltzer uh, market. But beer sales were up fourteen percent. They've seen strong on premise growth. Uh, as well. That's coming back. Uh, On-premise represented 11% of total beer depletions. Now, that compares to 15% pre-COVID. So, we're getting back to uh, getting back to to the days of yours, so to speak, there. But Modella Especial and Corona Extra are the stars of the portfolio these days. Uh, worth noting, costs are going up, though. Beer margins were down five point three percentage points. Uh, again, clearly sluggish performance in Seltzer. It's not just a Boston beer problem. Uh, the wine and spirits division performed well when you when you exclude the divestitures. Uh, those those organic net sales grew fifteen uh, percent, and I think they have set appropriate expectations for the coming. quarter Quarters uh, with some tough comps coming up. But, you know, this is a good business with an attractive portfolio of brands. It hasn't performed all that great over the past several years, uh, but perhaps this is a turning point.
2: Yeah, Bill Newlands has been CEO for just over two years. And obviously, for most of that time, he's been trying to get this business through the pandemic. It will be interesting to see, though. I mean, this is historically a business that's made acquisitions, um, they've added to that portfolio of alcohol brands. It's going to be interesting to see if sometime in 2022, they dive deeper into the hard seltzer.
1: Yeah, that that's really hard to say. I mean, you have to ask the question. I mean, have we hit peak seltzer? Is (laughs) is seltzer just sort of a uh, one and done sort of fad? I I I just don't know. There, I'm not I'm not a seltzer guy, but uh, it certainly seems like again, it's not just a Boston beer problem. It is widespread. Uh, Whether it comes back yet remains to be seen.
2: Coming up after the break, we've got the business partnership that America has been waiting for. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Shares of Levi Strauss up nearly 10% on Thursday after third-quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Ron, nice to see Levi's doing well in the all-important back-to-school season.
0: That's exactly right. Strong report as demand increased for that back to school season and people refreshed their wardrobes in a post pandemic world. We're all getting out there a little bit. We need to buy some clothes. Sales up 41% year over year. Now, you know, that's anniversarying pandemic levels. So they're nice enough to give us 2019 uh, data as well. So we're up 3% from third quarter of 2019 having supply chain issues along with everyone else, but it's fared relatively well due to its diversified manufacturing. Less than 4% of its global volume comes from Vietnam, which has been a major problem for other manufacturers. Uh, management remains optimistic about its outlook as it pushes through price increases in the face of rising costs for some raw materials, specifically cotton, which impacts this business pretty significantly. They're expanding at major retailers, Target and Nordstrom, they're increasing their direct-to-consumer business, wholesale up 45%, direct-to-consumer up 34%, and finally, earnings grew 570%, again from pandemic levels, but if we go back to 2019, up 57%. So Those are really strong numbers, allowed them to increase guidance, to put a $200 million share repurchase plan on the books, 18 times current year guidance, uh, not too shabby, maybe worth a look. Uh, two quick things. Uh, first, uh, CEO Chip Berg uh, almost seemed like he
2: went out of his way to talk about how they were diversifying in their manufacturing, and and really, and I don't blame him for doing this, right. but really trying to signal to Wall Street, our supply chain problems are not as bad as everyone else's. Um, on the stock buyback, I know that's not an enormous pile of money. But I was a little surprised by that. I just, I don't know. It seems like that could be money, maybe better spent going further into their DTC channels.
0: It might be a token program to just signal confidence um, in the company, and they can be selective how they put the money to work. It's a ten billion dollar company, which is a lot of money, but it's not huge. Ten billion is not a huge company. So two hundred million is sizable. Let's see if they actually execute.
2: Last month, Delta Airlines lowered revenue guidance for their upcoming third quarter earnings report. This week, the company reversed course and reinstated their original guidance, saying that ticket sales are improving. So, Jason, the thing we said last month, (laughs) ignore that. We're going back to the original numbers.
1: Well, I mean, I appreciate that they're keeping us updated with the most current information. I mean, I think what we're seeing here really—it's a confluence of factors at play. Delta CEO Ed Bastian noted that business travel is growing here domestically again. Uh, you just take a look around on any weekend; I mean, sporting events are packed. People are thrilled to be there. Transatlantic travel is coming back. You listen to Airbnb is noting that the third quarter is going to be their strongest revenue quarter ever. Uh, you're you're seeing uh, even even in-person events coming back online. We got the augmented world expo of all things. You know, the, the expo where augmented reality and virtual reality take center stage. Hey, gonna be in person this year, Chris, uh, along with CES in January. So, I mean you do a boots-on-the-ground view of things. It's very easy to see that more and more consumers are being more and more, they're they're getting more and more comfortable with the risk-reward scenario of getting back to life. Uh, Now, the airlines are still going to be losing a ton of money, for sure. That's forecast to be around $12 billion in 2022. But it's a far better situation than 2021, uh, which is obviously a very good thing, so it looks like a step in the right direction.
2: Well, and we also got news late in the week. United Airlines, sort of um, sharing um, the hiring that they're attempting to do, and seeing more applicants than they were getting pre-pandemic. You know, you you don't want to extrapolate too much off of one or two data points, but it seems like things are moving in the right direction for this entire industry
1: it does and i think i think for most industries and i think a lot of that is we we have the tools now that we didn't have a year ago to deal with this situation and I think that speaks to more and more people feeling more and more comfortable about getting out there. Uh, I, I think that only will continue to grow, particularly as it seems like we got the green light uh, from Scott Gottlieb this week, I and mean, he said, there's really nothing that stops us from getting uh, to, to see our families and having kind of a normal holiday season. Clearly, it's a fluid situation. Some people aren't going to be at that comfort level yet, but, but it absolutely a step in the right direction, like you said.
0: I think as antivirals, like the one that Merck recently announced, start to come out, people are going to say, okay. I'm not only protected from a vaccination perspective, but if God forbid I do get sick, I've got I've got a remedy here, and I'm going to therefore live my life. I'm going to go out for the holidays. I'm going to get on an airplane. I'm going to go to hotels, and I think that's really where the the, the economy really starts to get get kicked in the butt, and and we see significant increases. And we also saw uh,
2: Pfizer um, asking the FDA for emergency use authorization um, for. Uh, the vaccine for children 5-11, to um, possibly syncing up uh, with Halloween. And speaking of Halloween, (laughs) earlier in the show we talked about Pepsi's snack division and the company has found yet another way to leverage one of their hottest brands. Pepsi is teaming up with Spirit Halloween, the Halloween-based retailer, to produce the first-ever officially licensed Cheetos Flaming Hot costumes. Uh, uh. I- I'm I'm not sure where to go with this, Jason, because uh, on balance, I've never been a huge fan of the food-based costumes. It just hasn't worked for me. But I don't blame Pepsi for doing this.
1: I mean, I don't. I tend to agree with you. I'm not the biggest fan of the food-based costume, and it it was interesting to look at these two side by side. The bag costume is clearly, obviously, the Cheetos bag. But if you look at the Cheeto, the the actual (laughs) Cheeto costume, it's not so apparent what it is until you actually see the branding and the very. The bottom right corner that says Cheetos, right? So you wouldn't. It could be a Dorito. I mean, it could be a just a red bad piece of pizza. You just don't red know. Blood. So. I
0: think it's a red blood cell, <laughs> <laughs> or one of those hot tamale candies from
1: the movies. Uh, that's it. The next thing. That's the the next step of the, is the Cheetos movie, right? I mean, it seems like that's just around the corner. I
2: mean, I'm sure it'll be animated and I'm sure someone will happily jump on board that. Um, Ron, uh, you've made no secret of uh, your feelings when it comes to certain Halloween candies. Where are you on food-based costumes? Not
0: necessary. There's plenty of real-life people costumes. We don't need to turn food into costumes. it's, It's fine. Fair enough. What trends do
2: investors need to watch this earnings season? And which stocks are starting to look attractive at their current price? All that and a whole lot more after the break. So stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Raven hair and ruby lips. Sparks fly from the fingertips. Echoed voices in the night. She's a restless spirit on an endless flight. Woo-hoo. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Guys, time for something we have not done in a while, a little thing we like to call fill in the blank. Woo-hoo. The final. Bring it. <laughs> Thank Bring you for it. that Come enthusiasm. On. <laughs> the final earnings season of 2021 starts next week, and Ron, blank
0: shareholders are really hoping for good news. I'm going to go with Nike. Last quarter, A bit brutal for Nike. Shares fell 6% on the earnings report. They're off about 13% from their 52-week high as results were hurt by what? Global supply chain issues, specifically forced temporary closures of Nike's manufacturing facilities in Vietnam and Indonesia, which was necessary to help slow the spread of COVID. Uh, Supply chain headwinds are impacting gross margins, the costs to move inventory between manufacturing facilities to wholesale partners and customers. Are increasing labor shortages at ports are delaying turnaround times for ships carrying large quantities of merchandise. So I would imagine the next quarter report we're going to see a lot of the same. But perhaps guidance will show some signs of improvement. That's what I'll be listening for. Uh, are things? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel there? Otherwise, this is going to continue to impact earnings um, for at least a couple, few quarters I would think. So we'll be watching. As an Under Armour shareholder,
2: I really (laughs) hope things go well for Nike. Because if they don't, it really doesn't portend good things for Under Armour. Jason, what about you? Who really needs good news?
1: Yeah, to me, it feels like Alteryx is one of the more obvious suspects here. A data analytics company that um, has had a difficult uh, stretch here. The stock has been cut in half over the last 12 months as the business has struggled a little bit. Uh, I, I will say, I think a recent leadership change, hopefully, is they step in the right direction. Uh, Marky Anderson, who is the former president of Palo Alto Networks, where he was responsible for sales and go-to-market strategy, customer satisfaction, um, all very important roles. He's also the former chief growth officer of Anaplan. So, I think that was an important step. They have set out their strategic imperatives, uh, and, and I think they do make sense doubling down on customer successes, building new products and services with their long-standing partners First and foremost, and then trying to roll that out to to, to new customers, uh, bringing in a new chief product officer, I think helps too. These are all, I think, great steps. But what we ultimately need to see is it translate into the numbers. And so we talk often about how long do you give new leadership. Uh, a, ch- a chance to turn things around, right? What is what is the appropriate amount of time? Is one, two, three quarters? Typically, I kind of fall on that that uh, side of the argument. It gives them about a year, uh, and, and and Mr. Anderson has not been there for that long yet. But but uh, clearly, he's he's been there long enough to where we need to start seeing some signs of life here. Ron, the
0: trend to watch this earnings season is blank. Are gross margins continuing to be hurt by inflation? I can answer the question. I think the answer is going to be yes. We know what's happening. It came through in the last earnings season. Uh, We're going to start to get an indication if inflation is transitory or or more long-lasting. I think over the next couple of earnings seasons, Those with the ability to raise prices, like Pepsi we mentioned earlier, Chipotle comes to mind. I think we'll definitely be better able to weather the storm, but others are going to see their bottom lines get hit. I think the stock prices are
1: likely to follow. Jason? And you said Chipotle. Now I'm hungry, Ron. I felt like I could just <laughs> do that for dinner, but I promised my daughter sushi, so maybe tomorrow. Um, I so I, I think my per, I want to I want to focus on the perspective uh, from from leadership uh, regarding holiday season supply chains. I mean, we're already seeing uh, Amazon, for for example, hitting the Black Friday button. A uh, Target doing something similar. I expect that trend will only increase. Uh, clearly, we're seeing a lot of a lot of difficulty uh, in all over the world in getting things from point A to point. Be, and it doesn't look like that's going to abate uh, anytime soon. So I had a lot of people, I think, are getting out there shopping early this year. Uh, there are going to be plenty of bottlenecks still. So, so focusing on those companies' uh, perspectives there and in inventory levels, I think will provide some good insight.
2: Ron, the CEO whose seat
0: is getting warmer, is blank. I'm going to go with Disney's Bob Chapek, and not because he's in danger of being fired but because the world is watching very intently as Bob Iger rides off into the sunset and Chapek takes full control of the company. They are very different executives, have very different styles. Iger, more of a people person, Chapek, a data-driven executive. There's a belief that Iger has already lost faith in Chapek and he has warned that Disney is veering off course. Uh, Investors are asking Chapek to lean hard into streaming, even if it frustrates talent. But as a great Hollywood Reporter reporter article noted, uh, I recommend it, he's got to balance that with managing talent and relationships, perhaps not his strong suit. Jason, we're not saying the seat is necessarily hot,
2: but it's getting warmer for who?
1: Yeah, I I will preface this with the admission that I don't think this is going to happen, but but certainly the seat is getting warmer for Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I, I, to my mind, I don't know that there is a more distrusted CEO in the market today, and I mean I know those are probably pretty strong words, but 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 we are where we are. Uh, generally speaking I'm, I'm I'm a personal responsibility guy uh the masses have demonstrated that they can't live without Facebook in, in its property so that's on them right but but th- there is some culpability here Facebook does have a responsibility here uh and, and just to the, it, this keeps on happening and he just seems completely tone deaf to it all that's the one consistency here's like he just never seems to really be in touch with it time after time and, and I mean I recognize he has a monumental task in running such a big uh a company that that has such a large network of users all over the world but he has just let this entire experiment spin completely out of control. So you have to start wondering, I mean it, perhaps perhaps he's not the best face for the company going forward. I mean between the outage, between the Wall Street Journal articles you really haven't heard much from, from management at all, other than Zuckerberg to say it's highly illogical. Well, listen, Mr. Spock, it actually is kind of logical. I mean, a lot of people put money over everything else in their life. So, so I, it's, it's very difficult to believe what he says. It's very difficult to believe that they can self-regulate. So, it is going to be imperative that there is some type of regulation that, that helps bring this together and make Facebook a little bit more of a of a, of a safe and palatable place to be for the masses. Uh, because again, as I said, it, it's very clear. I mean, the masses have spoken, right? They want to use those platforms. But Facebook really needs to double down on figuring out how, ma- how to make these safer experiences, particularly for the younger generations. Yeah, Ron wants to keep track of his high school friends.
2: <laughs> That's what clear. <laughs> yeah. Ron, one growing rivalry to keep an eye
0: on is between blank and blank. Speaking of regulation that Jason just mentioned, I'm going to say SEC Chairman Gary Gensler and cryptocurrencies. Gensler um, has been very vocal about his belief that crypto needs to be regulated. One main concern that we hear a lot about is the risk of cryptocurrencies being used to carry out fraud and money laundering. Um, There's a very dark, Dark web aspect of cryptocurrencies. Gensler told Congress earlier in the week that he wanted crypto platforms to be registered with the SEC. Many believe on the other side of the coin that he's overstepping his authority since these assets are currencies and not securities. It'll be interesting to see. down the road, what the definition shakes out as. Some believe that regulation will have a negative impact on retail investors and entrepreneurs in the space. It really is that whole regulation versus free market argument, but now it's playing out in the 21st century with with digital assets. So, uh, keep an eye on if SEC Chairman Gensler has any authority here, and that's going to largely depend on what cryptocurrencies actually end up being determined to be, security or currency. Although based on Jamie Diamond's
2: comments this week it seems like Diamond uh, supports the direction Gensler's headed.
0: It does. He he seemed to, to offer a little support there, but again, he's got to have the authority to do, to do what he wants to do. The SEC has, you know, doesn't have wide overarching authority in all cases, so we'll have to keep an eye on it. Jason, you got a growing rivalry you're watching?
1: Yeah, I, I think you got to keep an eye on Amazon versus Cloudflare. This is a really fascinating uh, situation brewing here. A CEO of Cloudflare, Matthew Prince is known for saying, "To never trust Amazon." And let me repeat that: "Never trust Amazon." I mean, think wow. about how powerful those words are. Now, I think he's I think he's referring specifically to the AWS side of the business, but uh, I could I could be I could be wrong. Uh, but he's 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 calling out their pricing and their tactics on that side of the business. Uh, and, and he is is very clear that Cloudflare is looking at building uh, services beyond storage. He sees Cloudflare ultimately competing with the other big three cloud v- uh, vendors in AWS and Google and Microsoft. And uh, and he said, I think that we're going to, uh, you know, he think he thinks they're going to be the fourth major public cloud. Uh, to me, th- those are grand aspirations, of course. I mean, we, we know how successful AWS has been, and I mean, Cloudflare is, is still a, a small business compared to to AWS but but Cloudflare is a very good business. Um, to me, it feels like this is getting ready to get good, and and as a shareholder of both, um, I'm, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stay uh, tuned into it to watch. I, I really do feel like Cloudflare is onto something there. Um, Amazon has been known to uh, price and and use some strategic tactics there that uh, sort of lock customers in and don't really give them a lot of choice at times. Uh, so so Matthew Prince may be onto something there, but that'll be a fun rivalry I think that's building.
2: All right, two more, guys. The S&P 500 has hit new highs more than 50 times this year, but a large number of stocks are currently trading more than 40% below their own highs. So, Ron, one stock that's starting to look interesting at its current price is blank.
0: There's a bunch, as, as you noted. Um, I'm going to go with Roku, which I do not own, but I think it looks interesting here. We're, we're clearly moving, we're in a cord-cutting world, pay TV subscribers have declined by more than 23 million since peaking in early 2012. The Roku platform has more than 10,000 streaming channels on its platform. That includes both paid and ad-supported channels. The Roku operating system, which it developed, has become the number 1 selling connected TV operating system in North America, 38% market share in the U.S., 31% share in Canada. Roku is the leading streaming platform worldwide, taking the lead over Amazon's fire last year. To close out 2020, Roku had 51 million active accounts. That's up 39% year over year. Amazon had 50 million, up 25% at that time. Roku also a powerhouse in the digital advertising space. Company makes most of its profits from digital ads that appear on its platform. But Slowing growth in streaming hours and active accounts of some investors spooked. Stock may have been ahead of itself at four hundred and ninety dollars. I, I can't say it wasn't. But after falling about thirty-five percent, starting to look interesting to me again. Still a high priced tech company, but not as high priced as it once was. Certainly worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, three hundred twenty
2: is a lot lower than four ninety. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Jason, what about you?
1: Yeah, well, another, another popular name in our Foolish universe, of Zoom Video Communications. I think that uh, looking at Zoom today, this is more than just a video conferencing company. I mean, they are building out a communication platform. So, I think you have to think, Bigger. I think you have to think longer with this business. Uh, they just hit their first one billion dollar uh, quarter, uh, and they have launched Zoom apps uh, recently. That has brought uh, over fifty apps into the Zoom meeting experience. Ultimately, uh, giving giving folks using that Zoom meetings product all sorts of different tools, uh, which is re- which is really neat. They've launched Zoom events. They've got Zoom phone. Uh, they they are they are really uh, they've really got their foot on the gas here in, in developing new products and services. And They're calling for better than $4 billion in revenue for the full year now, and around $4.75 per share in earnings for the full year. The stock is down 24% year-to-date, but almost 50% over the past year. So, given its given its uh, its brand awareness, given its reach, uh, you look at a business like this trading now at around fifty four times uh, full year guidance, valued at around fifty four year of times full year guidance. I, that doesn't seem too crazy to me. I mean, if if you're not a Zoom owner today, I think now this this is absolutely worth a look because it seems to be a uh, it seems to be a business with some staying power.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting to note um, perhaps why a lot of these high tech growth companies are off 35, 40% from their highs. And, and there's a variety of reasons, but one of the main ones is that we're seeing interest rates tick up, specifically the 10 year Treasury. Um, and it's really a math problem when you get down to it. Uh, future earnings are worth less on a present value basis the higher the interest rates get. Um, and if interest rates at around one point five percent right now are going to continue to tick up, that makes the present value stream of growth worth less. And some of these innovative growth companies, the valuation is wholly reliable on the out years, many years out, really continued strong growth and free cash flow. Some not even free cash flow positive yet, but the growth potential expected um, is is. Enormous, and interest rates will have a very big impact on what that stream of cash flows are worth.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, and I mean that's one of the reasons to me why Zoom stands out in this crowd because the fundamentals are there, right? I mean, this is a profitable business. This is a business that makes actual money. We're not we're not trying to figure out that path to profitability. They're there, and not only are they profitable, but they're just everywhere. I mean, right? Those last eighteen months. Uh, the business has taken off for obvious reasons and uh I, I suspect it's going to be I suspect it's going to be around for some time to come and finally jason anyone looking to make the most of fall grilling season should try blank well chris we are big fans of salmon in my household uh whether it's grilled or whether it's broiled i mean we just we just enjoy a good a good uh, piece of salmon every now and then and uh, you've heard me talk before on this show about a company called Dizzy Pig. For all of my uh, all of my McCormick love, you know, Dizzy Pig is just a little local uh, spice rub maker here in Virginia that makes a lot of lot of really delicious rubs. So I I would encourage folks check out dizzypig.com and look up this spice mix they have called Pineapple Head. It is a, a pineapple inspired, a uh, little bit of heat uh, rub that's very very good on seafood, and it is an outstanding... Compliment to salmon. Uh, So, whether you broil it in the oven or grill it on the grill, uh, try a little salmon with some Dizzy Pig pineapple head. And just the one key I will say to this uh, is is with about a minute to go, because you don't want to overcook salmon, right? With about a minute to go, throw a nice pat of butter on top of Mm. that piece of salmon, right? You let that butter melt all over the salmon, it gets in there with that pineapple head. Really, really works. Ron, what about you? All right,
0: stick with me. We're going to build a little menu here. We're going to start off with New York strip steaks coated in equal parts of chopped rosemary, sage, and thyme, and generous amounts of salt and pepper. You're going to dab the steaks with a little olive oil after you put the herbs on to hold them in place. You're going to throw them on the grill for 10 minutes total. Now we need side dishes. You're going to throw some in-season vegetables tossed with olive oil on the grill for the side dish. I like fennel, eggplant, and either leeks or scallions for some onion flavor. And finally, slice some potatoes. Toss them in olive oil, fresh rosemary, and chopped garlic, wrap them in aluminum foil, throw them on the grill for 30 minutes. You've got New York strip steaks with sides of vegetables and grilled potatoes. Enjoy. Have a great fall, everyone.
1: Thanks for making my tip look like a bunch of cup of noodles,
0: Ron. (laughs) You're not
2: hearing that on Bloomberg. All right, guys, we'll see you after the break. Radar stocks are next, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, On The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Guys, time for Radar Stocks. Our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, is going to hit you with a question. Ron, you're up first. What are you looking at this week?
0: Voyager Therapeutics, VYGR, an early-stage biotech company focused on gene therapy, is in my personal nine-stock biotech basket. Shares were up 55% on Wednesday and then again a bunch on Friday. But here's the thing with biotech, even after that 55% increase, shares are around $4 a share. I own them at twenty dollars a share. So be careful. Always buy these types of stocks in a basket. Announced a really strong agreement with Pfizer that could mean up to six hundred million in revenue for this company. Market cap is only a hundred and sixty-six million. A potential six hundred million revenue stream coming in looks interesting to me.
1: Dan. Generally, we see these radar stocks are gainers over the long term here, and this is not the case with Voyager Therapeutics,
0: Ron. I'm I'm suggesting taking a shot, perhaps, at $166 million stock with some exciting future uh, potential behind it. Real quick, Jason, what do you got?
1: Yeah, taking a look at Matterport, ticker MTTR. This is a digital imaging business focused on digitizing and indexing the built world. Think digital twins for buildings, Chris. Uh, They just announced a a deal this week with Cushman and Wakefield Global Commercial Real Estate Company. Uh, Very exciting. This is a business uh, with really exciting prospects, but it's, it's valued like one, too. So there will likely be better opportunities along the way.
2: Dan? If there's one thing I love, Chris, it's 3D renderings of the insides <laughs> of buildings. So I'm very excited about this company. Are You adding uh, Matterport to your watch list there, Dan? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not adding Voyager Therapeutics. <laughs> how, about, <I'm> rude. <laughs> how about
1: that?
2: <laughs> All right, Jason Moser, Ron Gross, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. That's going to do it for this week's Monthly Full Money. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.